Indeed, eh? Yes, Indeed. Uh, and now it's uh, story time. <laughs> Yes, all the thrill of victory and the drama of defeat will be yours in the next 45 fun-filled, scintillating moments. How about making this tonight a salute to Ed McMahon, one of the great Americans of our time? Did you hear that Ed McMahon is appearing at the Maisonette? Yeah, he's appearing. In, I wonder what he does, you know. Uh, does a guest uh, Alpo dog food commercial, maybe? Or, I see. And he laughs at somebody's joke in the audience? <laughs> Would you please, Art, please? I feel an overwhelming urge to irritate them to beyond the, almost beyond the point of non-bearing. Come on, all together now. Let's go, gang. Got a bear, Mr. Train. Come on, hard big bear, Mr. Train. And now he's walking. Don't be gentle about it. Bear, Mr. Train. Oh, the bear, Mr. Train. Oh, the bear, Mr. Train. And now he's walking. He's walking. that there, please, Arthur, would you? <laughs> yes, you reset that here. Here, we're all set now. Well, now, look, we have a, a little note here. Uh, it, uh, I have to approach this uh, somewhat uh, somewhat uh, tenderly here. We have a little note here. It says, uh, Shepard, it says, uh, did you see the piece in the New York Times about this guy that tried all the dog foods? Yes, uh, I agree. I, I'll read this note. He says, Shepard, he says, uh, animal cuckoos are getting really out of hand. He says, in fact, in New York, animal cuckoos are getting totally hairy. They're beginning to confuse dogs with people, which is true. I mean, uh, in New York, uh, I know more than one uh, marriage that's broken up over a dog. Seriously. And uh, did you see the piece in the Times about uh, this guy that tried? Uh, he's the food editor, incidentally, of the Times. And he tried all the various dog foods to see how they tasted. Uh, did you see that piece? Did, you did? Did you read his criticism? He even gave them stars. Now, for those of you... <laughs> I mean, there's something really completely nutty about that. Now, now I hate to tell you, Mr. Uh, uh, Sokolov, who is the uh, food editor of the Times, who tasted all these various uh, dog foods, 
dogs have different tastes than people. In other words, it is a well-known established fact that what tastes good to a dog tastes totally rotten to a person. Now, I personally know one dog that is completely ape uh, for very, very elderly dead fish, which he rolls in first. He rolls on them, see? He digs them up, rolls on them, and then eats them. Now, I, and he thinks they're great. Now, I am not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not about to, to make any value judgments on dogs because, you see, a dog is a dog. And uh, he tends to have different tastes than people. Uh, for example, uh, here are here's the human critic, and here, here are his uh, his uh, the stars that he's given various types of uh, dog food. For those of you who don't haven't followed the times, we'll tell you what he's done. For example, milk bone biscuit. Now you've seen milk bone biscuit on the shelves. Uh, th this is, this gets a three star rating, which is damn high rating. I know certain restaurants in town that. Uh, no way could they get three-star ratings. But Milk Bone Biscuit hits a three-star rating. And here is what their their uh, criticism says. It says, it could replace Rye Crisp with a little salt and butter. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, how about uh, this dog food called Prime Chicken? Prime, chicken-flavored. You've seen Prime. Well, that's a two-star. It says, no chicken taste, moist, sweet cubes like yellow cake. Well... Uh, that's that's a pretty harsh uh, definition and analysis of the prime chicken flavored. Uh, I, and actually, among dog foods, that's not a bad tasting one but by human standards. Medallion beef flavor chunks, two stars. It says texture like a cake. Strong meat flavor. Well, that doesn't sound bad. I've gone to restaurants for years and ordered steaks and didn't get a strong meat flavor. I have no idea what they make them out of those steaks, but it ain't meat. In fact, I know one, one restaurant in town that's very expensive. All the expense account guys go there. You know, that's a special world anyway. And uh, <laughs> I swear, they, they are, they're the first to, to experiment with the new plastic steaks. Uh, they, they don't taste like steaks. In fact, uh, they realize that most expense account guys drink their lunch anyway. The steak is merely symbolic. It arrives... And uh, after, <laughs> after, after nine martinis and before seven brandies, the steak is just a thing. You know, you poke it for a while and then they take it away. I suspect they use it over and over again. They take it back in the kitchen, wash it, pour more gravy on it, and it's ready to be served. A Purina dog chow. Now, I, I don't know how he figures this one. One star, Purina dog chow. He says, stale biscuit texture. Well, actually, dogs tend to like that crunchy texture, Mr. Sokolov. In fact, dogs tend to go ape over that crunchy flavor. Uh, have you ever seen a dog eat a five-year-old bone that he's dragged up out of the yard and eat it with great gusto? Now, that is a stale bone. Something about the taste of stale, crunchy stuff appeals to particular dachshunds. Stale biscuit texture, but subtle meat flavor. And appreciably dry when moistened, not appreciably dry when moistened. Now, I can't figure that statement out. That is a typical non-sequitur of the times. What the hell is dry when it's moistened, Mr. Sokolov? I asked you that question again. Do you hear what he says? <laughs> Not appreciably dry when moistened. That is a non-sequitur. <laughs> That's like saying Fred came in out of the rain, somewhat wet. Or Fred found it difficult to keep dry while swimming. Yes, uh, that, uh, that, that follows. But nevertheless, I'll tell you about Purina dog chow. Uh, 
Uh, every dog I've ever seen gets around that. He goes uh, totally uh, ape over it. Uh, what it is in it, I don't know. Apparently, it doesn't appeal to Mr. Sokolov. But then again, on the other hand, now let's put it on the other foot, Mr. Sokolov. Have you ever given uh, food which is appreciated by human beings to dogs? Uh, for example, I have not yet known a dog that enjoys pickles. Now, I'm serious. Have you ever tried to give a dog a pickle? He just, you know, kind of looks at it, walks away. And yet I know many pickle cuckoos, uh, you know, human types who enjoy uh, pickles. On the other hand, I, I do know certain dogs who enjoy lettuce, which, uh, <laughs> don't ask me, I don't. Uh, by the way, Laddie Boy Lamb Chunks uh, gets one star. And uh, here's the, uh, the capsule uh, description of it. It says, best odor of all moist foods, but no taste. Gooey texture. Well, that's uh, possibly true. Top choice chopped burger gets no stars at all. It says, tasteless, rubbery drastically red color and pasty in the mouth. Eh. A Gaines meal, uh, like concretized sawdust. That's unkind. Alpo horse meat chunks. Awful looking, smells like stew, tasted foul. Well, dogs tend to like stuff that is awful looking and smells foul. <laughs> I, you know, I wish they were different. <laughs> Here's one that's totally unrated. They won't even talk about this one. It's called Daily All-Breed Liver Flavor. Daily All-Breed. Strong, mysterious odor. Couldn't get it down. Well, <laughs> that describes certain restaurants I've eaten in. Strong, mysterious odor. Can't get it down. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I'd have to salute Mr. Sokolov, but he he, uh, he represents a New York attitude where this is only in New York would this happen in a time of gradual uh, expanding nuttiness. In fact, we're, we're going through a time now uh, the very similar to the days of the French Revolution. Did you know that during the French Revolution, uh, they, they got so ape over animals. You know, we we now see the results of it, you know, with the French poodle, you know, the little poodle that wears dresses and all that stuff, that uh, that the during the days of the French Revolution, it was quite common for people to include and give the dog legally their last name and to include the dog in all family wills, family codicils, uh, you know, arguments, discussions, and the dog had more to say about what happened in the house than the old man, often. Because usually his voice was louder and he bit harder. But uh, the, <laughs> the facts of the matter are that the French Revolution... The French went through this, too. This whole thing with animals. So maybe it's significant. Here, here in the... Only in New York, though. Have you seen some of those commercials? Did you see the commercial where the guy comes into his house and he says, I'm home, gang! And you can tell, you know, he's a certain type. Anyway, he comes in, he says, I'm home, gang. Oh, hey, we're going to have such a wonderful meal. And he comes in with all these packages. Oh, my God. And out of the out of the uh, next room come three cats. And he says, oh, Daddy's home. Oh. Uh, may I paraphrase Dorothy Parker? It makes you want to flow up. Uh, but uh, that's, a, that's in New York. <laughs> New York attitude. And it's a very common one. You know, uh, Although, let's not put this down entirely. Uh, I had a friend, and this, this little story may, uh, may you know, be a little sickening to you, but I'm, I'm just going to tell it to you because it's a true story. This uh, friend of mine was going to uh, a certain school out in the Midwest, see? 
uh, for purposes of argument, we'll call it Indiana, right? Uh, there, there, is there a school called Indiana University? Is there really? Oh, oh, there is. I see. By George. Where is it? Huh? <laughs> it's amazing how seriously people take you, your, your lines when you read them deadpan. You know, that's like, like standing out on a stage and saying, uh, let's invent a college for the purpose. Let's see, uh, how about uh, uh, Yale? Uh, we'll name it after a lock. Uh, you know, let's pick somebody. Is there, is there a Yale? And let's say, yes, there is. They raise their hand. Yes, yes, don't. Stop. There is a Yale. <laughs> well, nevertheless, let's just say that this guy was going to Indiana, see, and uh, he decided uh, over, the, over this winter that he was going to, uh, he was going to make the scene big, you know, and uh, by the way, friends, uh, before we go any further, if you want to make the scene big and uh, you want to really, you know, lay it on some chick, uh, some night we'd like to suggest that you take her to the House of Chan, you know, before you go to the elegant theater date that you're going to see. You're going to go to some, you know, big... There's some big... Uh, by the way, speaking of elegant theater dates, the other day I'm walking along Times Square, see, and they got all these porny houses, you know, all these porny movies. And what do you think's happening on this night? There's about 500 of them out there standing in front of this pointy place that says, Tonight, it's a sneak preview. Stars here tonight in person. And uh, <laughs> I just, you know, there was a kind of an elegant uh, Rococo quality that, and I say this, if, you're, if your civilization is going to decay, it might as well do it in style. Do you agree? I mean, we might as well go downhill with, with all bells ringing. I mean, there's no sense just schlumping off stage of history. Let's go out with all the all the Roman candles flying. But the, if you're going to attend some elegant preview of that type some night, we'd like to suggest that before you go to the preview, if you're a lucky New Yorker, you just drop into uh, the House of Chan. Uh, it's at 52nd and 7th Avenue. And you just tell them that you're going to make a curtain tonight. You know, you elegant. The stars are going to be there in person. You want to be there on time to see them all come in, get an autograph and all that stuff. Well, you try this magnificent Chinese food. It's inscrutably delicious. Always a unique, exciting dining experience. And uh, it's 7th Avenue at 52nd Street. It's one of the great ideas of Eastern man. It's uh, <laughs> the House of Chan. Now, let's see. We have another little uh, thingy here. It's uh, speaking of one of the great ideas of Western man. This is WOR, New York. We're just an idea. Let's face it. Uh, just a Just a great concept. I mean, the whole idea, here you're sitting out there listening to us, see, and as it occurred to you, it's all in your head, that all we are is a bunch of little electronic radio waves coming at you. It's, you, it's not tangible. It's just a great, magnificent idea. W.R., isn't it, gang? <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, well, I mean, no, 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 no. I, 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 I don't want this to sound chauvinistic. Not at all. Uh, after all, when you're standing in front of the pyramid and you say, "Wow, is that big?" Now, is that a chauvinistic remark? If you're, if you're, uh, say, an Egyptian, you know, of the 12th dynasty, no, you're stating a fact. It's just a bit taken in. But that, nevertheless, I'd like to point out, friends, that uh, you can, you can, you can, you can say a role, but that doesn't mean you can pull it off. And so this buddy of mine decided over the winter. He's going to have the hip experience. He read about it in Life magazine. He's going to have the hip experience. And so summertime came, and he and his friend hitchhiked north. Now, Indiana's in the southern part of the state. They hitchhiked north. And he said, it was terrible. 
We get out on Route 41 there, see? And he says, we're hitchhiking like all the other guys. You know, we got a big sign. It just simply said, the Boston. You know, these signs that they raised. He had a sign. We just wrote a sign. We wrote Chicago. See? <laughs> and he says, guys kept going by us. And they'd, they'd go down four blocks, and they'd pick up the guys that are behind us. And they were picking guys up ahead of us. He said, it took us about three days just to get out of town. And we were going, we were going north to Chicago by maybe two block jumps. He says, every three hours we'd get a ride for two blocks. He says, this would take us roughly till the middle of September, you know, to get to Chicago. He said, and what's worse, we kept going sideways. We are heading towards Ohio gradually. <laughs> he says, we were terrible hitchhikers. He said, after about six weeks of hitchhiking, we finally got in a town called Michigan, Michigan City, which is very far right of Chicago. If you look at it in a map, see, it's about 400 miles to, well, actually, it's about 60 miles to the right of Chicago. So we decided what we were going to do is spend the summer in Michigan City, being hippies. He said, there were other guys walking around, long hair. He said, they were smoking pot, doing a whole bit, you know, and they were walking around being very hip. He says, and me and Jaime fell in with the crowd. Shortly thereafter, he said, we discovered that being a hippie is not as easy as it looks. First of all, these guys are all walking around panhandling. He says, so we walk out, we stand in the streets, and got any change? It's nothing. Guys, just give us a bad look. So three weeks later, we are totally out of money. So what we began to live on is we had to do it. He says, what we began to live on, and this guy actually went through this experience. And Mr. Sokolov, I'm going to point this directly at you. Mr. Sokolov, are you listening? He says, one day, me and Jaime are down to about 60 cents. He says, and we are really hungry. And he says, you know what it is? It's embarrassment. He says, I could never get over being embarrassed walking up to a guy saying, you got any change? He says, it would come through. And he says, and once you show embarrassment, the guy you're asking is embarrassed, and he turns his head and walks away. He says, we were not cutting it. So we walk into the A&P. Now, we had heard that the thing that the hippies do is to rip off stuff. You go in, you steal stuff, right, to eat? He said, but I couldn't get myself to do it. He said, I walk up to this, you know, this 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 uh, counter full of all kinds of goodies. He says, and I, I, I reach over, and he said, I couldn't do it. So he said, there was only one thing to do. Me and Jaime bought a can of, of Ann Page pork and beans. He said, which came in a great big can for only something like 26 cents. We went outside, and we ate it. It was our can of beans. And he said, we had no way to heat it, see? So we ate the can of beans. Now we are down to 40 cents. You got it, friends? He's, his money is going down. The next day, we went in, and we got another can of beans. He said, great big can. It's cheap, see? We got a big can. We ate that again. Well, now we're down to 20 cents. You couldn't even get a can of beans for 20 cents. So we're walking around the store to see what we could get for 20 cents. That was enough for both of us. There was only one thing. Kennel ration. We bought a can of kennel ration for 21 cents. <laughs> he said we had 24 cents. We bought a can of kennel ration. And we bought, it comes in different flavors, you know, beef, liver, chicken. He says we bought the beef flavor. So we took it out and back of the sign where we were living. He says, we were living in a vacant lot back of a sign. And we went back at a sign, and he said, uh, 
we, 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 we take this rock that we had been using to open our bean cans, and he says, pow, pow, we pound the top in, and we smell this kenneration. I pass it over to Jaime. He smells it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> he says, I want to tell you, after you've been eating nothing but beans for three days, you'll be surprised, Mr. Sokolov, how, how delicious kenneration beef-flavored chunks taste and smell. He says, well, what we did then, we, we built this fire, and we heated it in the can. And he said, the three of us, me, Jaime, he says, and another guy that was just sitting over there looking sad, we ate this can of kennel ration beef chunk flavor with the vegetable stews in it. He said, it was fantastic. You have no idea how that tasted. He said, well, from that time on, said, I knew, one, I was not, at no point was I a hippie. I had to go straight. Only way. He said, but since that time, he says, you know, every time I go in the store, no. He says, now I'm working, got a job. I walk around. He says, I go through the pet department, and there I see those cans of cannel ration. He says, I wonder what would happen if I brought a can of that home, just for old time's sake. Heated it up. Had a little bourbon with it, maybe. You know, a little martini before it. Maybe some frozen peas with it. And uh, he was thinking about that, see? Now, listen carefully now. The next step. You want to hear the next step of the story, Mr. Sokolov? This tasted so good to him that he got a very definite liking for kennel ration beef-flavored chunks. So one night, this was... Just about three months ago, he actually did it. He had a bunch of friends over. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what he did. He took a great big, beautiful Danish casserole dish. You know, the kind that's burnt orange, has the teakwood handles on it with a big cover on it with a bird on the top, you know, beautiful teakwood. And he emptied six cans of kettle ration, beef chunk stew into this thing. And he baked it, and he served it to his friends. And they loved it. A few martinis before dinner, a little stew, some Fritos, you know, a little rice on the side. And he was an instant success. An instant success. You don't have one, sir? We're in the fourth grade from PS41, and we want to see the Red Baron of Lufthansa German Airlines. Is he real? Of course he's real. Only today, the Red Baron is inspecting the Lufthansa kitchens in New York. In first class, the Red Baron has a menu just like you get in a fancy restaurant. And you can pick whatever you wish from the menu. I know. I have flown with the Red Baron. My father says Lufthansa is a German airline. And the Red Baron is on every plane to make sure everything goes just right. Not really. On every Lufthansa flight, there are nice stewardesses to serve you your food and drinks and help you to be comfortable. And also, we have man stewards, too. They all can tell you places to see and things to do when you get to Germany. After all, nobody would know Germany better than us. That's why so many people fly to Germany on Lufthansa. Because the Red Baron tells them to. No, because they like Lufthansa. I ought to know. Oh, you're Mrs. Red Baron? Uh, why don't you just say we're good friends? <laughs> oh, wow. You know, there's a curious quality of necrophilia about that. <laughs> you know, there really was a Red Baron. That that was not invented by Snoopy. 
Uh, and by the way, do you know that during his days, when, when the Red Baron was really working and doing what he did, which was uh, shoot down airplanes, uh, did you know he was not, he was very, uh, one of my favorite places in New York is to go down to the dime store on 42nd Street. You ever go down to, to, to the Woolworths on 42nd Street? You know, or rather in ti- on Times Square, not a, not on 42nd Street. Oh, come on, Art. You go in there every day. Where are, you're not fooling me at all. I know that's where you get that leatherette tie that you've got that clips on. Come on. <laughs> but there's, there's, a whole, there's a whole thing that goes on down there in the basement. And, uh, and I, see, I see tourists, see, uh, who come from places like uh, Indianapolis, and, you know, places like Columbus, Ohio. And they, they come into the, to the, uh, the New York dime store. And they walk around, and, and it's like they're in a foreign country. See, they walk around, they, they say, look, look at this, you know. And here they are, they're in a dime store, and it gives them a sense, I think, a sense of security. Because the dime store is the one thing that, that Times Square has in uh, common with uh, the main street of Indianapolis. <laughs> you know, that, that, same, that same feeling. And they also go into the Howard Johnson over here on Times Square. Well, of course, it's been referred, you know, Howard Johnson has been referred to as the Bronx Embassy. Uh, so if you ever get lost anywhere, you go to Howard Johnson, maybe they'll straighten out your, your tourist, uh, your, uh, you know, your, your passport. But uh, nevertheless, when you fight your way through this, this uh, New York scene, you, you come to the realization that we are different from anybody else in the world. People who live in New York... Now, why? Is this the center of the universe? Could this conceivably be the highest achievement that man will ever reach New York? Could it be? I mean, it's a scary thought. I, I mean, I wonder if somebody somewhere is writing another Bible. I mean, I'm sure the guy living in Babylon, I mean, the real Babylon, I'm not talking about Long Island, I mean, the guy, the guy living in real scene and smell it and listen to the sounds. And I think to myself, you know, there will be a time. It's hard for us to ever really seriously consider this, but there will be a time when all of this, the whole thing, will be over. It'll be gone, done, forever. There will be a time. Like a thousand years from now. Now, it's hard at any time in history to believe that a thousand years will pass. I mean, it's difficult to understand that there will be a time when nobody who's alive, not one person who's alive today, there'll be no trace of them. There'll be maybe thousand, two thousand years. Can you imagine some archaeologist digging up, let's say, a Rock Hudson movie, and they put it on the... Uh, they put it on the projector, you know, they, 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 they have reconstructed an ancient projector. And they're sitting there watching this Rock Hudson Doris Day movie, and it's the only thing left of our civilization. That's it. It's the Rosetta Stone. Either that or can you imagine, can you imagine uh, the only thing that's left, you know, after all, the Rosetta Stone is just a little piece of stone. And they found it thousands of years after the civilization that made it departed. And the only thing that we have to decipher their civilization is that stone. You know, it's conceivable that a thousand years from now, the only thing they'll find will be a vault someplace 
that has four mint condition Lady Plumber commercials in it. The remains of an ancient ad agency. And the only way they can tell what our civilization was like, they can play these commercials where this lady's taking tea stains out of the sink. Now don't laugh, that may be a pretty good indication. Because you notice that the apartment in the Lady Plumber commercials looks a little like every apartment. Kind of crummy. They stand and look at this rotten old sink. And, <laughs> and that would, you know, that would be a much closer. But then, you know, a thousand years. And who knows what they would think it is. Some kind of a religious ceremony. Speaking of religion, this is WOR New York. Stay tuned for Lester Smith and the news. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.